The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. These days, most of Shanghai is still almost eerily quiet. Lisa Mobius has lived in Shanghai for more than two decades. And lately, she's been reporting on COVID there for The Post. Last month, China's government finally started to drop its rigid COVID restrictions. But despite that, everything around Lisa has felt quiet. I live in the very busy shopping hub, and there was very, very few people. The streets were completely empty. The only sound I hear from the busy road next, uh, next to me is the ambulance. You know, people have been just, like, hiding out at home, mostly. I know people who have not left their house for a month because they're afraid of getting the virus, but they refuse to get vaccinated because they have more faith in folk medicine. This was not what you might have expected when the Chinese government suddenly lifted lockdowns. But Lisa says a lot of restaurant and bank staff have been out sick. She says so many people in her life have gotten COVID all at once. A few weeks ago, Lisa went to find out what was really going on behind the scenes in an emergency room. Zhongshang Hospital is my local hospital. It also is one of the major hospitals in the city. And as I walked up, things still seemed pretty normal. You know, ambulances pulling in and out. The one thing that was weird that I noticed was a guy coming up and entering and carrying a uh, folding-out camping chair. You know, the kind people used at music festivals and parks when they want to, you know, spend a weekend, you know, enjoying the sunshine in Shanghai. People love to do, like, day camping here. Uh, So I was like, why is he taking a folding lounge chair into the hospital? Like, that's a strange thing to take to the hospital. And then I went in, and then I saw why. It was a complete change of scene. I just saw folding chairs like that everywhere. You know, about half the patients had these old blue oxygen tanks from them. They looked like, you know, they'd been around 40 or 50 years. Uh, Paints were chipped off of them. It was just packed. People in the beds, people in the folding beds, people in wheelchairs, uh, just cheek by cheek, and coughing and coughing, and it was just pure chaos. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, January 11th. Today, confusion and frustration in China as the country goes from zero COVID to COVID everywhere. My co-host Elahe Azadi sat down with China Bureau Chief Lily Kuo. She's based in Taiwan right now, but she's been talking to people across China. Elahe and Lily discuss what led to China's complete about-face on zero COVID, the lack of government transparency that followed, and what Lily and other colleagues like Lisa are learning about what's actually going on with the outbreak. Lily, when we last spoke with you, protests were mounting in China, and this was something that was really unusual for the country. Can you remind us what that was about and what happened right after? 
Oh man, that feels like so long ago now. <laughs> um, I mean, the protests they happened in late November, and they started off in response to a, a fire in Arimchi, and this fire that killed several residents became kind of a lightning rod for all of these anxieties and all this frustration and anger at China's zero COVID policy. Protests in China against the government's strict COVID measures there have intensified, with some people publicly venting their anger at leaders of the Communist Party. And that zero COVID policy is all about eliminating the virus through strict lockdowns, mass testing, uh, tracking of residents. So after these protests in early December, the government then announced these new rules that basically lifted the most burdensome of these restrictions and basically got rid of zero COVID. At that point, there were already outbreaks in different parts of China, but after those restrictions were lifted, infections really went through the roof to the point then that China actually stopped counting, um, stopped regularly reporting the infections. Um, But that's also because they stopped requiring mandatory testing. Mm. Lily, before we get more into detail, can you tell us how bad COVID is right now in China? So since they've stopped mass testing, it's been hard to know what the real uh, numbers of infections are. And even the World Health Organization has said that China, the, the way that they're reporting the data, they're underestimating the amount of hospitalizations and deaths. We know that um, the healthcare system is overwhelmed. There are a lot of infections. There are a lot of deaths. We don't know exactly how many deaths. And so it, it is hard to tell exactly how much of a crisis this is and how bad it will get. And then was anyone expecting this sort of sudden reverse and change in policy, lifting zero COVID after so long of keeping it in place? I don't think so. I think it was a surprise. On the one side, kind of behind the scenes, um, there was this big crackdown on protesters. But then on the other side, the government then loosened the restrictions and they got rid of the strictest parts of zero COVID. So they sort of tried to appease um, that public sentiment against zero COVID. And even uh, President Xi Jinping in his New Year's speech, you know, he talks about how China's COVID policy has always been putting the people and the people's lives first. But then he also says something about, you know, in a country this big, there's always uh, lots of opinions. And people see, maybe see one thing in a lot of different ways. So that was a very kind of oblique reference to the protests. So, you know, it seems that the government was moving towards some sort of loosening of the policy at some point. But then for them to do it kind of so suddenly and abruptly in December, I don't think people saw that coming. Before we get more into what has happened since zero COVID was lifted, I do think it's worth stepping back and asking again, why did China stick with the zero COVID approach for so long? And what did that look like for everyday people's lives? You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, if we go back to the beginning of the pandemic, China was one of the first countries to go through it, right? So it emerged in Wuhan 
and then China used the, the methods that were basically zero COVID to stop this threat. So they locked down cities and provinces. Um, they instituted really strict quarantines. They started building up this massive infrastructure to track everybody and implement all of these rules. And China kind of already has that in place because it is um, such a large surveillance state. And so when they got the outbreak under control, then this was this method was sort of a point of pride. Um, and China mm. really sort of championed that, you know, Chinese governance and Chinese approach to public health is the superior model. And that extends to just, the, you know, the political model and this governance model that we we're better than uh, these Western countries who look, you know, look, they're a mess dealing with COVID. And what did this approach, how did it play out for everyday people's lives? Because I think that was a part of the reason or the the one of the major factors that fueled all those protests, right? Yeah, definitely. You know, it went from the sort of innocuous um, just day to day that you have to line up at midnight to get tested, you know, three times a week so that you can go to work and get a paycheck or people that were stuck in their apartments during the Shanghai lockdown and they couldn't get enough food. Or, you know, a woman that we interviewed who had to try to perform a surgery on her mother because she couldn't get her to a hospital um, because no hospitals would take her. And then it didn't go well. And her her mother ended up getting to a hospital, but then dying. So, you know, I mean, it really manifested in a lot of extreme ways. And also um, it's something that wears you down. And with Chinese leadership lifting zero COVID, did it do anything to appease protesters or protests or even just release some of the pressure that was building up in Chinese society against this approach? I think that's a really interesting question and something that we've been following and I've been particularly interested in how public opinion is changing or what are people now saying, oh, we should have kept zero COVID. Um, But I think one common view is that zero COVID wasn't working and was not tenable, that it, it couldn't keep going this way. But the way that the government has done this shift was too sudden. And um, the last three years that the hospitals and the entire healthcare system could have been preparing for this were kind of wasted. Yeah, like how, how prepared was China for zero COVID to be lifted? Well, one criticism is that all of the energy and resources were spent on maintaining zero COVID. So Um, hospitals were dedicated to mass testing and contact tracing and identifying um, patients and local governments spent all their money on these temporary quarantine centers and volunteers managing people um, and running these testing checkpoints and things. And all of that money and time and energy could have been spent building up the healthcare system in rural areas, which is lacking and where there's a lot of concern about what the outbreak will look like there. Lily, can you just tell us a little bit more why it's difficult to know the current state of COVID in China right now? And what do we know about its spread? So China says officially that there have been a little over 5,200 deaths from COVID since the beginning of the pandemic. That seems incredibly low. (laughs) Yes, that number is... Is that, I mean... Do we, what do do you make of that number? Well, what's interesting is that analytics firms that have done modeling based on infection rates and fatality rates, they estimate that actually 5,000 people are dying a day in China in the current outbreak. Oh my gosh. Wow. And some of the projections are that by the end of 2023, a million people in China will have died from COVID. So that puts China kind of more in line with total deaths in places like the U.S. And I think that's interesting because... You know, China has 
for so long been pointing to its low death rate as you know, a way to point to the legitimacy of the leadership of the current government. I think for the government, it is really important to maintain the image of control and successful management over COVID and the social stability in general. And so they're always very tight on information and they're always tight on anything that could cause panic. Um, And that is actually one of the reasons why one of the justifications for continuing zero COVID is that if they allowed people to try to coexist with it, it would just cause too much panic and chaos. And that now is sort of what is happening, but the government doesn't want to admit at all that it has made any mistakes. Coming up, we learn how Lily and her colleagues used satellite images and social media to uncover the extent of COVID across the country. And they unpack a big moment this week, when China lifted its final zero-COVID policy and fully reopened its borders. We'll be right back. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. So we heard earlier from your colleague, Lisa, about what she saw happen in Shanghai. Lily, do we know what's going on in the rest of the country, how it's experiencing the surge? So we know from posts on social media that people have made while they're taking their own family members to hospitals or going to funeral homes to arrange for cremation of relatives that have died. We know from these videos um, how bad it is. So one video that we um, highlighted was of a woman who took her mother to a hospital in Beijing. So in that video, you can hear her narrating herself how she took her mother to the emergency room, and it was so crowded that even patients with uh, severe symptoms were sitting in the hallways. So you're seeing, you know, hospitals, emergency rooms overwhelmed. We... Uh, use satellite imagery to look at traffic at funeral homes across China. And we saw the increased activity at the funeral homes. And then we also combined that with uh, interviews with funeral home receptionists and people who uh, went to funeral homes if they you know, were taking relatives there or passed by. Uh, my colleague Lisa went to one in Shanghai where the workers said that it was incredibly busy. I went to check out the Longhua Funeral Center, which is one of the major crematoriums and mortuaries in Shanghai. There's about 12 such facilities in different parts of the city. This is the one that's closest to downtown and is affiliated with a very famous thousand-year-old temple. I went in and it didn't seem particularly busy. I saw them unloading the um, 
unloading the coffins from the hearses. And then I went and talked to some of the guards and said, oh, it doesn't seem like it's that busy. And they said, oh, no, this is very, very busy. Uh, usually we see about 70 to 100 deceased coming in per day. And now it's over, it's around 200 most days. So that's about 100 to 130 extra per day. And this is uh, something that uh, funeral home workers across the country um, have been saying. We talked to more than half a dozen uh, funeral homes in different cities from Nanjing to Beijing to Chongqing to Chengdu and Kunming. Um, and people there have told us things like uh, in the last two weeks of December that the incinerators were operating 24-7, that the staff had to work in shifts so that they could operate 24-7, that in all their years of working here, they'd never seen this many people. Um, we talked to a resident who, his father died of COVID, you know, just a month after he turned 60 and he had to wait outside a funeral home in Shanghai um, all night to get a number to get him cremated five days after he died. Um, and it, on his death certificate, it says that he died of other diseases, even though he had tested positive for COVID. And so all of that is sort of painting a picture that there are likely a lot more deaths than the government is reporting. Lily, can you help us understand why the Chinese population might be especially vulnerable to COVID? Like, why is it so concerning at this point in time in China? So the Chinese population has a very low level of natural immunity because the infection rates have been so low throughout the pandemic. And that is because of the zero COVID policies. And because of how contagious Omicron is um, and the variants of Omicron that are going around now, it's just ripping through the country. And then also, what's the what are the vaccine rates in China among the population? One of the issues with the vaccines in China is that it's a pretty high vaccination rate, but the vaccines that they're using are the Chinese vaccines, which aren't as effective against Omicron. And then separately, they haven't been as aggressive about vaccinating the elderly, right? So only it's like 40% of people over the age of 80 have had a booster shot. So the government is now trying to push that, but they're tr it's difficult because they have to reverse years of narratives about the vaccines that made older people not that keen on getting them. Hmm. Yeah. So do we know, Lily, whether or not COVID has peaked in China yet? What, what were you able to find? So we have been um, calling funeral homes and asking them about the level of traffic that they're getting. And several funeral homes did say that they were busier in late December and that things have quieted down more now. So that suggests that maybe those areas have started to peak. Um, Chinese authorities are saying that places like Beijing have peaked. But I know that there was a study by modelers out of the University of Washington that have projected that that peak won't happen until April and that deaths could be around 300,000 by then. Also, Chinese New Year is coming up, and that is a big holiday in China, which I'm imagining involves a lot of travel, people visiting their families. And is that a cause for concern in the country as to how that could impact COVID spread? Yeah, it's a, it's a big cause for concern because this is the first year in three years that people are allowed to travel home for Chinese New Year. So before, in past years, they've been told to just celebrate in place. So if they're living in Shanghai or Beijing for work to just stay there and, you know, and not go home 
And for a lot of people, you know, Chinese New Year is one of the only times in the year that they travel all the way across the country to go home to be with their family. And so the concern is that all of that movement from cities to rural areas is going to um, make the outbreak spread even more to rural areas where the drug shortages and um, shortages of staff and medical resources and the general infrastructure is much weaker. Mm. I also want to ask about traveling because the United States and a lot of places in Europe have added testing of incoming travelers. What is the purpose of this and how are people in China reacting to that? So it's really interesting that these restrictions are happening now because at the same time, China has opened the borders and It's not just about people being able to come in without quarantine or testing requirements, but now Chinese people can go abroad and come back without those requirements. And it's apparently easier to process uh, passports and just be able to leave China right now. So a lot of people are, there's a lot of pent up um, desire to leave. But then at the same time, all these countries are now starting to put different limitations on Chinese travelers or travelers from China. Do we know how people in China are reacting to those restrictions? Um, It seems that there have already been a lot of bookings, international uh, flight bookings um, based on the travel websites, and people are going out anyway. Mm. I mean, the government is very critical of those restrictions and saying that they're not based on science and it's they're political. How significant is it that China opened its borders to travelers? So China opening its borders is kind of the last step in fully dismantling zero COVID. So I think it is actually a big moment because people have been unable to go back to China to see family or do business or or whatever for so many years. And then people have basically not been able to leave because of not just the restrictions that they face when they come back, but also it's just been difficult to get your passports renewed or get visas processed and things like that. So it is a big step. Mm. And after everything that happened with COVID from the beginning, I'm just th- stepping back and thinking about, like, globally, th- there were a lot of criticisms then about China being opaque and not being open about the emerging virus. Is this sort of history repeating itself once again on some level? Like, how concerning should this situation be for the rest of the world? Yeah, I do think that when this outbreak was getting going in China and other countries started to put restrictions on travelers from China and there are questions from the WHO about what information the government is sharing, I did feel like we were back at the beginning of 2020 and not really sure what lessons we've learned. So, you know, there are questions about how much information China is sharing in terms of real-time information, hospitalizations and deaths. And so far, what the government is saying is that the variants that we're seeing in China are still um, the same variants that are out there, the same dominant variants that we've seen. So we haven't seen anything new emerging. But there is a lot of distrust over whether or not they are going to promptly share information if that does start to happen. Lily, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Lily Kuo is the China bureau chief for The Post. We also heard from Lisa Movius, who reported from Shanghai. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Alana Gordon. It was mixed by Sean Carter, and it was edited by Rena Flores. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.
What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL.